This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of meaningful sport. Running, as well as other sport, can provide moments of transcendence, but they can also become a distraction and an obsession. How can existential philosophy especially the works of Albert Camus, help us understand how running and other sports could be either life-affirming activities or ways to escape our human condition. This episode is the second part of our conversation with Professor John Carg that should help us explore these questions. I really recommend to check out the first part where we started exploring Camus' philosophy the key ideas such as the absurd and philosophical suicide, and how we can think of these in the context of our sporting activities. Today, we continue exploring existential philosophy and long-distance running, and a specific focus is on aging athletes and encountering our finitude. John Cog is a professor and chair of philosophy at the University of Massachusetts Lowell, He has written on running and hiking for several years and is the author of several books, including Hiking with Nietzsche, On Becoming Who You Are. Our conversation draws on his recent essay, How to Live with Dying, published in The American Scholar. You will find the link to the essay in the podcast description. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. You mentioned that there is some sense of regret um, when you are thinking back about how much you dedicated your time and effort and focus on running at the expense of your professional life, for example. But so just to kind of throw it out there, like why should the professional life be more important or should it? I mean, that's also a cultural construction that career is important and this is success and this is not. So. If somebody else decides that running is more important for me than my professional life, hmm. maybe that's then I, their authentic way of living. I don't know. I mean, I think that that's, that, that is true. I mean, I think that um, Camus' point is that there is nothing, that there is, that one activity in life is not intrinsically more valuable than the other. Yeah. That we choose what is meaningful. And where we tap significance. If running is more important than, for example, you know, any type of professional or any type of relationship, um, that that's perfectly fine for you to choose. But Camus says it's up to you to choose. I mean, what was unexpected to me 
is that I discovered that running was a form of avoiding or escaping certain things that I was afraid of in my personal life or certain things in my professional life. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been married uh, uh, three times, and at least two of those marriages have run aground, at least in part because of my obsession with exercise and running. And um, and the, and owning up to that fact uh, is very difficult. But one way to avoid owning up to that fact is to overtrain and to push yourself so hard that it becomes. I mean, you're you're you don't have energy to really own up to the way that your life is going. Uh, you just have to get ready for the next day of training. Yeah. And I think that that's a crucial difference. Camus, just to be clear, if you decide that uh, ultra running or you know long distance running is more important than your relationships, go for it. Right? There's no more. There's nothing better necessarily, according to the existentialist. But it's the issue of not choosing, which is an issue of bad faith or philosophical suicide in Camus' terms. Yeah. Let's then. You already a little bit started building the ground for for discussing. Then how can we have our sport life project running or or other sport that we can do in a more authentic way without yeah. <laughs> doing sport as a way of escaping or avoiding the absurdity of existence? So let's start developing that a bit. I mean, one of my teachers, Douglas Anderson, um, is also a philosopher of sport and he and I used to run um when I was back when I was back in college he was very quick back then he was 40 and I was 20 and um he said running is an old man's sport keg um because you understand eventually that it comes down to patience and persistence and enduring and um I think that that is an interesting way to think about sport as I've now turned 40, 41 and have gone through this bypass surgery, um, which is I'm not running the times that I've ran when I was 20 or 30, but uh, that running is a way of simulating how you are going to respond to the inevitable decline of being human. Uh, What I mean by that is Um, running allows you to simulate your reactions to a painful process and um, to a difficult process, to something where you endure um, and the correct way to endure. So um, at any point when you're running long distances, if you really tap in to your body, there is a point where you probably want to stop. And Camus says that um, if we choose in those moments to continue, that choice can be a sign of one's freedom. In other words, it can be like, I'm not going to allow this cramp in my stomach to uh, stop me. I'm going to work through it. I'm going to persist or endure. And uh, I think that this can be uh, a way of uh, revolting, according to Camus. Camus says that the revolt, which is an authentic response to the absurd, is to see that the absurd is always present, to see that 
that my human purposes are never going to outstrip the universe. My, I'm never going to succeed absolutely um, in achieving my goals, that there will always be goals that, are, are, that remain unachieved. And to still to push. Um, but you must push, according to Camus, through choice and through freedom. It's never an issue where you simply have to do something. You choose it. And I think that's an issue of um, sort of existential revolt, is that you pick, you say, um, which extra step can you go? Which extra step do you want to go? Um, and you can be proud of the fact that you've made that choice or whether you've stopped, right? Um, Camus says it's all a choice, all the way down. Um, and I think that that's a... Um, a fairly liberating philosophy to pursue. Now, as you get older, I think that there's also a way that um, you realize that your body is slowly, you know, disintegrating. Uh, like your your joints, you wake up in the morning and your joints are sore or uh, arthritis set, sets in. And as an athlete, I think one needs to um, adjust one's expectations to those eventualities, to those facts of life. And it's very difficult to do so because young athletes and middle-aged athletes are typically always looking for the next goal or every the next PR. But I think as you grow older, I think that needs to change. And we can talk a little bit about how that occurs. Yeah, we can talk about that. And I've also done some uh, life story research with runners and aging was a big part of the interviews that I was really interested in that how how does the meaning of running change for you when you realize that I'm not going to be as fast as I was a couple of years ago and in a couple of years I'm even more slower than I am today and whether running is still like a worthwhile activity and one of these runners was just telling me he had his peak years sometime in the 80s and he was still an active veteran runner. And the best things always come when you already switch off the recorder and we we were finished. And then he just started saying that, you know, most of my friends have stopped running and now they are sitting in a pub and having beers. But for him, it's a little bit like sitting down and waiting for dying. Like as, as long as he's running, he's still actively engaged in life and he still has his projects. So uh, that was just his interpretation of why, why running is still worthwhile for him. And he had no doubt that he was getting slower, but that was um, okay. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been, uh, I mean, it's been a, so the, my bi bypass surgery happened in March. Yeah. And, I remember um, the first time that I ran on my return, uh, when I started to try to get back and run, I could only run for two minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. um, and it was maybe, it was probably six weeks after my surgery. And the first time that I ran a mile straight, um, the pace was like 10, you know, a 1030. And mm. um, it varies. I mean, it, it's, um, it was, considerably slower than I was used to. And the feeling, um, my wife said to me, she goes, um, Kathy said, she, she said, um, 
can't you simply be happy for the fact that you're not dead and that you were able to do a mile? And I was split between feeling ashamed and being angry at myself that I couldn't go faster and at the same time trying to capture something like gratitude for the fact that I could at least do a mile. And I think that that's the issue about aging is that, um, and I've now tried to, you know, come to something like gratitude given my circumstance. And, um, and I think that that's when Frederick Nietzsche says that we must be grateful for our sickest years because they have made us who we are. Um, I think, you know, you can say that in, uh, philosophy and say it in principle, but it's very different in practice. Uh, but being sick and sort of going through surgery and then trying to return to physical activity um, has been an opportunity where you have to realize that there are different ways to orient your activity and your running. Um, and, and the successes that we have can be different. Um, just, I mean, yesterday, it's now been almost, um, almost a year, I guess, and uh, yesterday I ran five miles at a slow pace, but it was still five miles. And uh, it was something, you know, it's something that I couldn't have imagined six months ago. And that type of reimagining who we are can occur at any place in terms of our life, whether we're old or young, um, but it can take different forms. And I think the issue about being well-adjusted as an adult is to adjust oneself to the circumstances that change. And, um, and it doesn't always mean conquering those circumstances as it did when you're 20 or 30. Yeah. I mean, I've also once <laughs> restarted my running life. Like a dog attacked me when I was on a mountain bike ride and I was in the hospital for three weeks and they almost had to amputate my leg. Hmm. I have those memories as well. Like the first time I tried to run and I could run maybe like, you know, 500 meters and that's it. So it's a strange feeling of like really being grateful that I have a leg at all. (laughs) And that's right. Yeah. And and I mean, it's also an issue that older, the older I get and the more I go through physically, the more I notice that, I'm not alone in this. In other yeah. words, there are so many people, like the basic outpouring of that art. I mean, I've been writing about hiking and running for years, years and years. And um, that article about the bypass surgery and about running and the cardiac arrest was by far the one that really caught attention and basically. I've never had several hundred emails come in uh, just saying, I've read this and I relate to it because I too have gone through it. And I think that what you get a chance to do when you're an elderly runner or an elderly athlete is to actually realize that you're really not alone. And I Mm -hmm. think about Arthur Schopenhauer's work, Schopenhauer being basically a proto-existentialist or you know, the great grandfather of existentialism. Um, Schopenhauer had an essay called, which has been titled On the Suffering of the World. It's the first chapter in his studies in pessimism. And he says at the end of that chapter on the suffering of the world, he says, 
when we come to understand that we are suffering beings, kind of the way that the Buddhists might say that we are suffering beings, when we come to realize that and accept it, we have a chance to join a very large community, an ethical community, some might say a religious community, and that community is based on a single commonality, that we are all suffering beings, that we are companions, according to Schopenhauer, that we are companions in misery. Now, you might not think that that's a particularly good group to be a part of, but I can tell you that when I and when I interact with runners who are over 40, over 60, over 80, they all have a sort of quiet resolve that I think is a reflection of the fact that they understand that we are companions in misery. And I think uh, many times our ethical communities are based on common loyalties, right? Maybe we run at the same time or we uh, have the same, you know, that we run for the same team or... Uh, run for the same country. Uh, but this community of sufferers, I think, is a much more inclusive community. It has to do with the fact that we all suffer through our little corners of hell in our own particular ways. But we do that together, knowing that other people are doing the same thing. And I think that that's a sort of, when you look at the marathon, right, or if you look at long-distance um, races, each person is going through their own little version of um, torment um, mm. and of trial and deciding what to do with the um, length of the race that they've been given and still have. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we're so attracted to those types of races is because we see not just that the numbers are phenomenal or, you know, the time is phenomenal or the feat is phenomenal, but we get to see that we are uh, that there's a deep human commonality between us, that we all face our little hills and have our little boulders. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think the absurd is so compelling, is that once you understand that uh, the human condition is absurd, you can see the little boulders all, all around you that other people are pushing, right, in their own way, in their own time, with their own choices. And I think that that's the type of ethical community that I'd like to be part of. Yeah, I think when we talk about aging runners and in my study and and other work as well what often comes through that i mean when you get older you're certainly aware that you are slowing down and and often we see that actually athletes are aware of their finitude more vividly than other people because you see the changes in your body and and your athletic abilities already in your 30s so when we are thinking of whether running is an escape or whether it's actually confronting your your limits, I, I think sport can also put you against your finitude and, and force you to confront that quite early on. Yes, I think 100%. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I think that um, when you go for runs in very cold temperatures, when you after a run, when you are sore, um, when it changes what you crave and what you you know want to eat, for example, um, these are all signs of you know being human and, and being finite, and and that's a good reminder not to make philosophical suicide. It's like, hey, we are alive, we have preciously little time here, so let's figure out what to do with it. 
running is one of those things that you can do with it if you choose it freely. We've talked about time and how runners think of time. Well, time is running for us. So I think it would be nice to come back to what you have said earlier, that in Camus' philosophy and the myth of Sisyphus, there is this almost strange sentence there that we must imagine Sisyphus happy. And so maybe just how to do it. what does he mean? What does he mean with that? And how can that maybe inform our sport lives yeah yeah i mean um existentialism and camus um more specifically say lots of things uh that seem counterintuitive to us namely that we as human beings are to live in despair that's a, a position that heidegger and sartre claim that um that we are to live without hope now and to do so happily It's like, how do you do that? You know, wait, despair without hope, happily? I don't understand. But if you think about it, this this is the way that I try to describe it to my students. When you are exercising, pretend you go to the gym, right? And you are doing squats, okay? You have a weight on. And you are asked to what athletes call max out, right? Um, which is you go to fa complete fatigue or exhaustion, right? And you can either do it by volume, in other words, the number of repetitions that you do, eventually you'll fail, or you can do it in terms of weight, okay, and you put something on and you know you are going to fail. Well, this is a situation where you get to replicate or simulate something like what it is to live without hope. Now, when you are in that squat machine or in that squat press, and you're down at the bottom of that squat, and you are beginning to push and try to push the last uh, weight out. You can think about yourself as Sisyphus pushing that boulder. And what you get to do, uh, which is not something that other organisms do, I think, get to do, uh, I could be wrong about this, is that we as human beings get to choose how we put our back into the boulder or into life or into the choices that we have. And we can say, my, my, um, you know, my uh, rowing coach would say, leave everything on the gym floor. Leave everything, you know, you put your entire being into that choice to push. Because, yes, we're going to die. Yes, our bodies are going to disintegrate and, you know, fall apart. But at least it, it can be our choice about how that occurs. It can be our choice about the ways that we spend our time, and you put everything into that choice. Now, that can have, you know, you can say that um, athletics is one way of doing that, and I would agree, but I also think that parenting is another way that you can do it. I think that art is another way that you can do it. I think that music is. I think that pro your professional and writing life is. I think mm -hmm. any type of creative choice that you make over how you spend your time can be an example of maxing out the way you would at a, you know, on the gym floor or, you know, on the track. And so, uh, and what you get to do and what I think is really valuable about revolt or about imagining Sisyphus is that after Sisyphus, in the very short amount of time where he sees that boulder rolling down again and has to go fetch it, he can say, I put my back into that. And like I did it, that was my attempt, my boulder. It failed, but 
that it was my attempt. And I think that that's one of the keys to living an existentially authentic life is to be able to say, I did it. Like I tried it. I pushed, you know, I dedicated my life to this. Um, and it can, and what's interesting is that it's not something grand. It's something very mundane. It's a, you know, when you go to the gym, it's not, it's not like winning the marathon. You know, you put your back into it, um, and give it, give it your all, so to speak. For some of us where giving it all, I think has become routine or habit forming. I think, uh, being restful can be you know, like it, it has, you can put your back into taking a day off and that might be just as hard for some of us as, uh, trying to do mile repeats or something, something like that. So I hope that gave you some sense about how Sisyphus could be happy. It's not necessarily that he succeeds with his boulder, but that he's used his life or the moments of his life to put his back into them. Yeah, that certainly helps helps to understand. Let's let's close up. I've I've really enjoyed our discussion. It's it's been very stimulating. Earlier I said that I would I would ask about this role of running in your life now. So you've certainly had what the existentialist would call like a boundary situation or critical moment. Uh, if you think of running and and how you relate to running and how that contributes to your life now maybe just a few words on that today running for me is uh i'm i'm a father of two children i have a household i have a history of heart trouble um running is a way for me to still feel like i'm John Dewey, the philosopher, would call a live creature. And it allows me to um, breathe deeply. It allows me to reach those flow states, not as often as I used to because running is much harder for me now. But then it also means that I go slower and slower still so that I can claim something of that flow. Um, because these days, um, it's very difficult to run effortlessly. But um, I still get a chance to do that, and I do it every day. Um, and when I don't do it, I notice a difference about my life, namely that I've not chosen, or, or rather I've not gotten to choose one of those things that I now regard as uh, a very life-giving activity rather than something that I simply do in a routine way. It's, um, it's a choice, and I feel deprived of that choice when... Um, I don't get to do it for any number of reasons. Uh, but I also realize uh, that flexibility is something that has been very elusive in my life, in my personal and psychological life, and that I now, as an older man, get a chance to try to get more flexible rather than less. Because I think that our plastic natures and our rigid rigidities increase as we get older, uh, both in our bodies, but also in our minds. And I think it's Uh, something for running to um, loosen us up a little bit. Yeah, at least that's the hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, John. I, I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm sure the listeners will, will enjoy this too. Thank yeah. you. Thank my, you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. 
Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.